0: As a mother, wife, and divorce attorney for over 15 years, experience has taught me a lot about how to deal with times of uncertainty, transition, and facing opportunities for growth. I'm happy you're joining me for this part of the journey. When life isn't going according to plan, where do you turn to gain perspective into the problems you are facing? Today, my guest is the Reverend Dr. Andy Stoker. He is the senior minister at First United Methodist Church in Dallas, Texas, and is married to Megan, and together they have two sons. Last year, he also joined forces with a psychologist and a pediatrician to launch the Parenting for the Present podcast, where they provide important resources for families navigating these challenging times. And it was while I was a guest on the podcast that I learned he, in fact, had been trained in the collaborative law process. So I thought it would be fun to invite him to sit down with me today and talk about the spiritual journey of life and how the spiritual life can help people through times of loss. Dr. Stucker, thank you so much for being here. It's wonderful to have you.
1: Oh, it's my honor and privilege, and I love that I've joined forces. That's really really a great-
0: Well, I think each of you are a force in and of yourself, but you all do a great job with that podcast. Thank
1: you. It's been a a real, especially during this season, I know we're talking about times of difficulty, liminal space, um, starting a podcast with a psychologist and a pediatrician and especially with those in the helping professions has been a powerful learning for me in what it means truly to seek the best in every moment, even when times are really difficult.
0: I love that. Um, And certainly we've been living through difficult times together as a world, right? I mean, it's it's sort of an interesting thing that we're all experiencing um, this pandemic together a part of our humanity. And I just, um, I wanted to just start off by talking with you in terms of how do you see really the spiritual life being a resource for people in times of difficulty?
1: Yeah. So often, I think, people of faith believe that they have to graduate to a certain level in order to have a spiritual life, when actually, spirituality is a lifelong process. It's it's a continuing unfolding of of what's going on, not only within you, but also around you. Uh, No matter your interaction with uh, the divine, transcendent, uh, however you want to encapsulate that, we still are discovering who we are within ourselves, and and then coming to understand that with every life's transition, there's something new to discover about who I am and whatever is leading me to that next step, that next step in in my life. Our faith uh, plays an important role because I think in so many ways, faith is like a mirror being held up. Is this who you really are? Is this who you want to be? Um, if so, wonderful. Let's lean into that. If not, how can we shine that mirror up a little bit and and maybe even prepare yourself to face that next that next time when you have to see your reflection
0: wow that's really powerful (laughs) um i'm just thinking back to the what you just said in terms of you know oftentimes we think that the spiritual life is something you have to graduate into Mm -hmm. in other words what i'm hearing you say there's not really a destination it's not like you get to that place where you are the almighty spiritual being but it's really (laughs) the journey through life and that the spiritual uh, aspects of life can really help us become better people and it improve mm-hmm. that uh what we're seeing in the mirror that reflection
1: yeah i to to add on to that the what's interesting to me is the more i study in spirituality the more uh the more i gain perspective on my own life it's not the larger i become but the smaller i mm. become and and that is that's that's the nature of any spirituality in in my my very closest friends are uh, Jewish rabbis. They, I mean those those are lots we, of wisdom. <laughs> oh my gosh! And and we have such a great time together. You know, bar and bat mitzvahs, right? I was in youth ministry for fifteen years, and in the United Methodist faith tradition, we have confirmation, the rite of confirmation, which at twelve or thirteen you graduate from Christianity. <laughs> well, my my perspective is. Whether it's a bar or bat mitzvah, whether it's the rite of confirmation, I believe faith communities would do a better job of saying, all right, this is not the end, but the beginning. What more can you discover about who you are and who the divine is for your life? Because we know after 13, all kinds of things can unfold.
0: Oh my gosh, it's so true. It's such a poignant period of time. And I, I am the mother now of my youngest, just turned 14. So okay. just like, you know, really in the throes of the teenage years um, and all the blessings that come with that, Absolutely. you know, it is, it is a time of self-discovery for sure. Um, what you just said, the, the idea of perspective, you know, it's a funny thing because when um, I know in my own life when those moments where I just feel like the world is just weighing me down and and um, it's so heavy, you know, like I'm at the center of the universe. And yet if I can go to the beach, you mm-hmm. know, and stand at the shore and feel small or I go to the mountains and mm-hmm. feel small, you know, something happens. And and I think in, in a faith community for me in my own life too, you know, coming to church and, yeah. and just getting to broaden that perspective where it isn't all on my shoulders. right. That's such an important um, resource, I think, that especially people of faith can really tap into is, is that realignment of the perspective.
1: Absolutely. And I know we're going to lean into this in just a few minutes. Uh, let me go ahead and maybe set the stage for what I think may be important for people, especially people of faith who uh, will be viewing or listening to this. Uh, Father Richard Rohr uh, has this beautiful way of understanding our faith development throughout our lifespan. He talks about it in three particular ways. And we we go through these stages over and over and over again. Maybe even in our conversation today, we'll (sighs) discover it. What Richard Rohrer indicates is that we move through order, disorder, reorder. Mm. That somehow we're given this uh, this morsel of who we are, and our world is in this box. And along the way, that box gets overturned, kicked over. <laughs> uh, there's chaos, destruction, deconstruction of what that order what once was. And then somehow, either the divine or we, or together with the divine, we reorder our world. And when we reorder our world, it doesn't necessarily look like the box that we were given at the very beginning. Order, disorder, reorder may frame for us maybe our present circumstance in a global pandemic, or as we're gonna talk about and lean into when it comes to relationships. When disorder happens in relationship, uh, is it the end or is it the beginning?
0: That is really powerful. And I just think through, you know, it's so funny because I I have my middle son is getting ready to graduate from high school, right? And so you're making the life plans, right? You're planning the college you're going to go to and all of your goals, your career goals, because you're supposed to know where you're going when you're 17 um, and laying it all out. And I I think we grow up in a culture that tells us that we're supposed to make goals. We're supposed to know who we're going to be and that we move towards that. Um, and that life isn't supposed to be messy. And when something messy happens, a lot of shame, a lot of fear, a lot happens. But what you're telling me is really we need to be prepared because disorder is part of our human journey. It's part of what happens. Right. And I'm just, um, what when you, as a pastor, are working with people who are in those moments of disorder, whether, whether it's the loss of a marriage, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about a little bit more, the loss of a loved one, which is something I've just gone through yes. personally, mm-hmm. um, you know, loss of a job, whatever it is, however, whatever it is, whatever way that life isn't turning out the way you thought it was. Um, how do you see people move through that in a healthy way, Versus sort of maybe sort of some of the more destructive ways, because it's easy to escape, you know, when you're feeling that.
1: Right. So if if we can step maybe to the ten thousand foot view, I promise not to stay there too long. The ten thousand foot view, uh, when I when I'm walking with families, what I oftentimes um, invite them to consider is, how did you learn? how to handle stress and anxiety and fear and anger and shame from your parents Mm -hmm. from a family systems perspective when we look at what we were given in our order box right Mm -hmm. from our parents uh, oftentimes we try to carry that on into our own life circumstance but our own life circumstance doesn't have us growing up into, into adulthood 30 years earlier or having the same kind of job or passion or personality that our parents did and so that disorder happens so what are the things that we want to retain from our from the box we were given from our parents mm-hmm. and what are some things that we can let go and when people can see that objectively and without judgment without anxiety with all compassion right? That my box was good for a time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's not everything in the box is going to serve me in this time of disorder moving into reordering. And so how can we look objectively with what we've received from our parents, from our mentors, um, and then offer, lean into maybe our next best step for our life because we're going to achieve or, um, or have the opportunity to do something totally different than what our parents would have because of where we are with research or uh, technology or how we've interacted with, right. with, uh, with those that, that are in our midst that maybe aren't our family of origin, but maybe are our family of choice.
0: Oh my gosh! There are so many things that I'm thinking of, and of course, um, you know, in that box, there, there are there are things that you look at and you, you know, you question: does this have does this have use to me now? And some things will. I mean, there are certainly some things that are are wonderful, but the act of asking the question is what is so important because those things that you're going to hold on to, um, you get to make them your own. And I'm thinking yes. of you know like for me growing up in the church. That was yes. something that was handed down by my parents. It was an expectation, especially yep. as a clergy kid, that we were gonna to go to church. <laughs> and I remember coming into young adulthood and thinking, is this what I want for my life? You know? Yes. Um, and fortunately, I was given that wide bandwidth to question it, mm. um, and I did question it. But then to be able to step into faith, my own faith as an adult, is such an incredibly powerful thing. And so, you know, I think that that's true, that looking at the box, there's some really good things in the box. And then there are some not so good things in the box. And you know, we can let go of those. Yeah. It's really powerful.
1: In my study over this last week, I was reminded of this quote from Confucius, where he says, we all have two lives. The second one starts when we realize we only have one.
0: Okay, well, <laughs> right? I need to think about that, yeah.
1: So if that's the case, if we, yeah. if we believe that we're going to take this, I'm, I'm still using Father Rohr's box metaphor right. here, right? Or, or order metaphor. Um, if this is it, and when life falls apart, when tumult happens when everything gets turned over and we go back into that ordering of our lives the order is not or the sequence is not order disorder order the sequence is order disorder reorder and every step of the way takes courage someone has instilled in you that this is the life i expect of you Mm -hmm. thanks uh mom and dad, thanks, <laughs> dad and dad, mom and mom, however however your family of origin was, was oriented. And then there's something that occurs in your life that you're gonna take, going to that 10,000 foot view, can we see this objectively? Can we navigate uh, through this? What am, I gonna, what am I gonna take? What am I gonna leave behind? And with what I'm gonna take, can I then reorder my life? And that's when your second life begins.
0: Hmm. And what a gift that second life is. I mean, you know, and I know as well that Mm -hmm. for people who are going through periods of immense transition, um, that's, you know, something they didn't want. It wasn't like you went out and said, this is going to make my life better. I'm going to have total upheaval. and I'm going to empty everything out of the box. (laughs) Right. But, um, but when you sort of lean into those moments that You know, God's grace, if that's your belief system, is there present with you. Um, The human experience allows us to really grow deeper and to really have an amazing next chapter is what we call it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So let's go because, you you know, I'm a divorce attorney. So we help families um, transition through the divorce process. And and one of the greatest privileges is, you know, seeing people at, you know, one of the worst times in their lives because Mm -hmm. divorce is not fun. I don't recommend it if you don't have to do it, you know, but. But walking through the process and then and then on the other side, seeing their lives um, lived with amazing abundance and so forth, um, not that I, I sell divorce, but when you need it, you need it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I, I notice with people is that they often feel um, a lot of shame in divorce, they feel like they need to pull away, maybe from their faith community that this wasn't, they're not living right by the set of rules. And what do you have to say to, to people who might be experiencing that?
1: Yeah. Uh, re-engage. Um, try it on. Uh, in, in so many ways, let me let me first critique uh, may, maybe my my own experience of <laughs> Uh, of the faith communities that I've been a part of, uh, faith communities don't always have a great understanding of uh, of what happens in divorce. They don't have a great understanding when uh, when tumult happens, when this there's this terrible upheaval in a family. Uh, oftentimes, the faith community withdraws or the faith community shames. Um, so, my word to those maybe in faith communities or maybe if there are clergy people watching this, uh, that uh, is it possible for us to be far more compassionate when, with people when their lives are disordered? Mm. Um, now, I'm not just, we, I was trained to visit hospitals. I was trained to sit with people in times of birth and death and all of those sorts of seasons. And yet there are so many other ways that we can bring a pastoral presence when life isn't all that uh, all that smooth when there are rough places in, in life. Uh, so how can we as a faith community then surround and nurture those to give people the space enough to recognize what's going on within them and not put on them? our own virtues and values from what we got from our parents mm-hmm. or from a set of rules as you indicated but instead how can we how can we bring our most compassionate non-judgmental selves let's let's pick on me to Andy and Megan mm. how can we surround you in this moment how can we help and affirm you as individuals yes your marriage may be breaking apart but that doesn't mean you're losing your individuality We love you for who you are. And we loved you when you were together. Now it's our job as a faith community to move and help you nurture and see who you really are. For persons experiencing divorce, for persons who are experiencing maybe separation, um, try on, try on some spaces that, uh, that, Re-engage in some spaces that uh, that you had grown comfortable with your soon-to-be former spouse. Um, Call those friends. Break the taboo as much as you can, Um, because it's in in a way you may be helping that person that you're with that you still can live live a life of service um, to someone else because. You're going through something so incredible. They have something to learn from you. Uh, so uh, challenging that potentially that former member or that that member of the church um, who had a relationship with your former spouse, maybe to show up mm-hmm. as, this is me, Andy, without my spouse. Now, are you going to take me for who I am? And I want to show you who I am. It's almost like helping someone see a new reflection of you, um, and trying that on. If faith communities were compassionate, if faith communities were non-judgmental, I think I think folks would feel like that those were safe places to re-engage. So not only does it take a lot on the individual who's separating, but it also, in, in my opinion, uh, will take a lot for the faith community to be in that healing moment.
0: I love the challenge that you've given to faith communities because it is, it is so important um, to, to find ways to meet people where they're at. And certainly in the divorces it is a time where people need that love and support And I, I often have recognized, you know, in times in my own life when my box has been disordered, (laughs) um, whatever that disorder is, most recently with the loss of my mom, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I can do is help teach people how to respond to me in those times of need. Because a lot of times we don't know and we don't have conversations about what do I need in this time, um, that it is okay that you're still friends with my ex-spouse, um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, you still love our family and that's okay. You know, like we don't. There are just a lot of conversations that aren't had, and we make assumptions. And I think putting those things out on the table is really important.
1: Yeah, the, the more we can, the more we can share. I, I love this conversation. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like um, you and I are not bringing um, our our own kind of hanging of virtue or a value on marriage only. And you're not a whole person if you're not married. Mm-hmm. Um, what if, what if listeners and viewers alike could take on that kind of attitude just for a week? To see people as individuals and become surprised. <laughs> oh, you're married? Oh, well, tell me, what is your perception of your spouse? How does your <laughs> spouse ha- help help you to show up as you show up? Because I want to affirm how you're showing up as an individual, okay. not here we are together, <laughs> And I'm, and we are up one person.
0: Well, and I think, you know, for for families who do have great marriages, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of times people can feel the pressure to have the picture perfect uh, family. So it's Christmas card season, right? And oh, gosh. I'm stressing yeah. over the past year, I have no picture perfect <laughs> pictures of my great. family. Great. Uh, great, it's <laughs> yes. all messy. Yes. Uh, but, you know, there's that pressure and, and that facade. And so uh, we're only seeing, you know, each other in terms of how we think we should be seen. And that's not how relationships are formed, mm-hmm. right? That's not how real community is built. I mean, real community is built because we we have a trusting place where we can be vulnerable with each other and we can share the real ups and downs.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to feel about this line of this line of conversation. But what if we had mystical relationships? So I've been dabbling a little bit over the last couple of years. It sort of has felt like during the pandemic, I've been in a hermitage. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got a little bit more time to read. I haven't been sleeping all that well. So I'm in my hermitage reading. And what I've been reading mostly are the mystics, Mm -hmm. starting with the Desert Mothers, the Desert Fathers, and moving through. I wonder, you've inspired me here to think about mystical relationships. What if we could drop all of the facade? All we've been doing, and social media is a great proponent of this. I'm going to show you who I really am, and then it's a wonderful glossy <laughs> picture. It's a wonderful, you know, pose. I'm here on this. Beaut- am I in focus? Am I not? Am I? Am I adjusted right? Is uh, d- does my body look okay? Am I? All of those Don't things. Don't
0: forget all the filters that are available right. to exactly. You.
1: <laughs> exactly. But what a mystical relationship does with the divine, what a mystical relationship does with you and I is I, I hope that if we're in an authentic relationship with one another, if we move to mysticism, that we're trying to peel back all of the false self, all of the ego in order to get to the true self. Get to the, the essence of who you really are, because that's what I want to fall in love with. Mm. That's what I want to build our relationship on, is this commonality, this co-mutuality, this beauty that we share, not from the facade, because that can fall away. That's Things get disordered quickly when you've got the facade, when you only lean into the facade, but the true self, the essence of who you are, the core of who you are never goes away. So my challenge is let's make every Christmas card messy.
0: <laughs> Amen. Yeah. No, I think it's great. And, you know, um, I mean, I'm just, I think as you're talking about this, I'm like, well, what are all the things that stop? I mean, the ego, right? Oh, the gosh. protection. Like, what if you really knew? Like, I have half of a tree up right now, right? And yeah. it's December 5th. Um, like, the messiness in my life. What if you really knew that, right? Then then you wouldn't like that. Mm-hmm. And so we we create all these Barriers in our life to really sharing who we are.
1: So unnecessary. Yeah. Because who you are within you is absolutely enough. Yeah. It's absolutely enough. When we have when we have good marriages, uh, in in my opinion, from so I, I have a secular PhD in family science. Um, and so uh, I believe a good marriage is all about the partners maintaining their individuality. So when they join together, that they become interdependent. They're not dependent or codependent, but they're interdependent. When I'm apart from my spouse, I can still be Andy, and when I'm with my st- my mm-hmm. spouse, I can still be Andy. Now, the work that happens is all of the stuff that our cor- our culture has tried to order about marriage, uh, it's the it's the Jerry Maguire. Uh, line, oh, you, right? complete, you complete, me. complete Oh,
0: it's the worst line right? ever. <laughs> For real relationships. For real
1: right? relationships. Yeah, yeah. Because you are complete just as you are. Right. You are you are good, and you are enough, and your presence matters just by you showing up. Period.
0: And imagine—I mean, if you are—if you're in a marriage right now, and um, and you're feeling like you're not enough—I want you to just hold that thought for a moment and imagine how you would show up in your relationship if you really, really believed that you are enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is such a—it's—it's uh, it's such a challenging belief these days in the world that we live in, because everywhere we're told we're not enough.
1: Right. Right. But
0: that is, you know, when you, when you know at your core that you are enough, it changes everything.
1: Mm-hmm. To, <laughs> to be human mm-hmm. is to recognize that you are um, part of something bigger, right? Um, to be human is to recognize the transcendence, not just around you, Mm-hmm. But to recognize the tr- that you can even transcend yourself, that there is a future, that we can imagine tomorrow. The squirrels running around in my front yard this morning don't imagine <laughs> tomorrow, right. uh, we can. And so when we think about transcendence, when we think about that next step that we take in reordering our lives, in recognizing that we are enough or that for those who are listening and watching that you are enough, uh, imagine taking that enoughness, that beingness into tomorrow. How much more of who you are can show up today and tomorrow?
0: That's really, that's really great. How, how do you, um, practically speaking, because <laughs> I, like I said, we live in a world that tells you you're not enough, yeah. right? And even a lot of times in faith communities, we certainly feel we're not enough. And right. the mirror that's being held back to us in our faith communities can be one of you're falling short, you're falling short, you're falling short. So where, where how do we develop a practice so that we really can anchor into that knowledge that we are enough? How
1: does that happen practically yeah so faith faith communities and faiths all over the world have a multiplicity of practices that folks can engage in to discover their their core self Um, over the last four years uh, i had a pretty transformative experience with contemplative prayer that led me to uh, becoming a certified teacher in mindfulness meditation and what i've discovered for myself as an extrovert all the time, 24/7, is that the more I was extroverting, the more I wasn't filling the cup that was that was out there. The more I was making sure everyone was having a good time, making sure everybody was engaged in a certain way, um, it it was not. I, I was I was missing something from who I was essentially. So I delved very deeply into mindfulness meditation. What this practice does for some, not for all, is sitting by sitting quietly for five minutes, 10 minutes, if you can push yourself to 15 or 20 minutes every day and just concentrate on your breath, and then it, it almost automatically Thoughts and feelings and the to-do list comes to mind and in your heart and all of those things are swirling around and it's an opportunity for you then to see those thoughts, feelings, and perceptions just as they are and find your breath again. You're gonna have them, your mind is only doing what it's supposed to do, Mm -hmm. think. Your heart is only doing what it's supposed to do, feel. Um, Your life is unfolding, so it's doing what it's supposed to do, perceive. So what if you just were able to sit and be? That's one practice. The second practice is, is it possible for you to set a timer for three minutes in the morning and three minutes at night before bed and simply just write, uh, there are all kinds of wonderful journaling practices out there where you're able to just write. Maybe you need a prompt. Um, highs and lows, maybe that's <laughs> your prompt. Or, um, or your favorite color is a good prompt. Or things to be
0: grateful for. Things to be
1: grateful for, things to be upset about. Whatever, whatever the prompt is and just allow yourself to write. And then close it up. You don't have to read it. It's just part of the process. One of my closest friends uh, has been delving very deeply into journaling practice. And what this has done for him in his medical practice is help him to concentrate exactly on what he's doing with the patient, be it in his office or in surgery. That by becoming aware of, of all of the inner thoughts and feelings going on uh, and and holding them, uh, not necessarily at bay, but just allowing them to be and focus on your task, he's been able to connect in a real way, in a deeper way, not just with his patients, but with himself Mm. and the practice and art of medicine.
0: I love that. I'm just thinking the next time that I before I go under the knife, I need to make sure that my surgeon has a a journaling practice. It seems like that might be an important question yeah, to ask yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: How do you reach into your essence here, sir or ma'am? Right. Yeah.
0: No, that's great. That's really, really important. Um, and I think so important for, you know, whatever, wherever that is, that dis, that box of disorder when it's been knocked over. Mm. And I love that, you know, we're not going back to the same box. Yeah. We're reordering. We're moving into a new box that's filled with all kinds of blessings of its own.
1: And we need tools. We need tools we to need reorder. Tools.
0: Yeah. So I love that meditation. What are some good resources for meditation and journaling practices? Yeah. Can we find out about that on your website?
1: Uh, yes, you can find out about those on my website. Absolutely. Well, we
0: will include the link for sure to your website. Um, you know, when, when we were talking on the, the, the podcast that that you're on, um, parenting for the for the future. Did I get that right? Parenting,
1: parenting for the present.
0: Sorry, parenting for the present for today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, ahead yeah.
1: Of the yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so I learned that you had gone through collaborative divorce training, I did. and I think that's so interesting. So tell me a little bit about um, why you did that, how you yeah. thought that would be helpful, and maybe what you learned.
1: I took a course in uh, in my PhD work on conflict mediation. And it, it was all kind of, you, you know, you do the role plays and those kinds of things. So I I did my PhD program while as a, while a pastor uh, in a, at a church. And so I began to see that things were shifting and changing in the 2000s with married couples. And as a youth minister, I was always kind of on that front line with a student trying to navigate. I think my parents are about to Get a divorce, mm-hmm. or they're separating, or whatever is occurring. So, I learned the collaborative divorce process um, right after conflict mediation as a help to the students I was serving. Uh, thinking that maybe, just maybe, I could participate collaboratively and and be a voice in the room for children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm I'm not saying that every divorce proceeding forgets children and all of that kind of thing. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is is there an is there an advocate in the room for those young people who oftentimes will get the report yeah. uh, from their parents about the divorce. So I took uh, the collaborative divorce uh, training and discovered that when we're able, it sort of goes back to our mystical relationship, Mm -hmm. when we're able to see each partner as their own individual person, as an independent person, and that the interdependence that they created in their marriage, what had started to erode, and they're finding their way back as independent people without the marriage. How can we do that well? The collaborative process, in my opinion, does that well in a compassionate and non judgmental way. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. It also lowers the anxiety, in my, my opinion, and begins to shape an understanding of seeing your former spouse in a new and more generous light.
0: I think um that is such a beautiful summation of the collaborative divorce process and you know one of the things i'm so aware is certainly when we move into the divorce process people the protection that we were talking about Mm -hmm. right the ego the fear like people come into it with all kinds of protections and we forget sometimes um uh, who we are in the process and we can forget who our partner, um, Mm -hmm. soon to be ex-partner is in the process and that the collaborative divorce process really does allow us to kind of lower the protections. Because one of the things people don't realize is that when we're in that protective mode, when we're in that fear-driven mode, that is, that just is fuel to the conflict. And the moment we're fueling conflict, that's how, you know, the costs escalate and that's how lawyers make their money is, you know, in the system of where there's a lot of conflict. And so if we can always remind people to kind of come back to the table, connect with who you are and your own value Right, and for some people, this may be the beginning of a conversation that they really haven't had before, Mm -hmm. Um, just not not being aware. Um, So I love that that you did the training, and have you have you uh, had the opportunity to see people through the divorce, the collaborative divorce process, come on on the other side?
1: So I I was only able to be before I. As a United Methodist minister, you're moved, right? So before I I itinerated, I was able to participate in three uh, in three cases. Oh, that's great! So um, and as you know, and many many know, there's a mental health professional in mm-hmm. the collaborative process. So it was a privilege for me to be that person. It's sort of like it's sort of like being a chaplain in a way, where um, where you're you have uh, you have. Two, two things or two, two people in the room, I'm, I'm trying to uh, connect the chaplaincy here where you're trying to help people navigate who they are and what their tomorrow looks like. Mm. Um, as, as a chaplain in a hospital, oftentimes you'd pray with someone who was on hospice, for example. And oftentimes the conversation is, who are you now? Mm-hmm. And what does your tomorrow look like? and allowing, allowing that imagination and, uh, to, to wrap around them. Um, likewise, as a mental health professional in the room, how can you help people understand who they are and what their tomorrow might look like in this reordering process?
0: That is so great, and I, I just do want to touch on the fact that in the collaborative process, they do have a role called a child specialist. Yes, wh- who will meet with the children and actually be a voice. Because, you know, it's parents often think we need to bring the children into the divorce process, and and that's not always the best. But if we can if we can invite them to have a voice in a very protected way, in a very appropriate way, so that they don't feel like they're being put in the middle. So one thing we don't want is the kids to feel like they're stuck in the a war match between their parents
1: absolutely i think what i was indicating is um other divorce proceedings outside of collaborative Mm. uh oftentimes there isn't that child specialist there isn't that advocate for the child in the room
0: that's 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 exactly right and you know people it understand that they can there is a process by which the child could be interviewed by the judge Mm -hmm. if they're of a certain age um And so people often think, well, we'll just have the kids interviewed by the judge. And they don't know and understand. First of all, the judge really doesn't want to be interviewing your child in most cases. And second, that has put such pressure on the kids and really in such a destructive way. And, you know, you've seen it where, I mean, divorce itself is a period of transition. It doesn't have to have a negative impact on the kids. If the parents can both step up and minimize the conflict and protect the children, kids can come through it. Just fine. That's, right. That's and, right. And in some cases, you know, they'll say, why didn't you do this earlier? Because <laughs> the conflict in the home is what can be so destructive for kids.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, I, I've i really enjoyed our conversation. This has been really, really fun. There's so many takeaways that I'm going to be thinking about all day. So I, I thank you for, for being here and um, bringing your insight and wisdom. As we wrap up, I just um, want to offer you an opportunity to kind of leave a message for hope, for anybody who's in that, that period of the disordered box. Um, yeah. You know, what, what words of wisdom do you have for them?
1: Yeah, so we're, we're coming out of Hanukkah and we just finished the second Sunday of Advent. It's a season where we're reminded that there is great hope and light in the world and that hope and light emanates from each of us. And a spiritual practice, a faith community, can help us to engage, I hope, uh, discover that hope and light that is within us that we can offer the world, and maybe just maybe along the way, discover all over again how precious we really are, not only to ourselves, but to the world around us, that people are enough That you are enough, Jennifer, just by showing up, even I pray with your messy Christmas card, (laughs) it's gonna be enough. Yeah. You've had a year.
0: Yeah.
1: And along the way, the messiness and the disorder of it all, somehow you reordered everybody with (laughs) cowlicks and sweaters askew and maybe makeup not right that day. Somehow you reordered everything to take that picture and to be together and be reminded what a precious moment it is to just be reordered in this brand new way.
0: I can't think of a better way to end today. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been amazing. If you want to learn more about Andy Stoker, about his ministry, uh, about the resources that he has available, uh, we invite you to check out his website. And if you've enjoyed our conversation today, we hope you'll subscribe uh, and tune in for future episodes, but we also hope you'll share this so that others can benefit from the words of wisdom and just the words of love, so thank you.